You are listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. Recently named one of Christianity Today's 12 podcasts you don't want to miss, 2021, I'm your host, Marty Duran. This episode of Uncommentary is brought to you by Churchlytics. Are you struggling to understand your church analytics and metrics? You're not the only one. Most church leaders struggle to know and view ministry data. How many podcast downloads are you getting? How many Facebook likes are you getting? What's happening on your website? Everybody has a hard time wrangling all that data. Well, now there's a custom dashboard solution for you and your church. My buddy Josh Breland runs Churchlytics, and he can put all your church data in one beautiful custom dashboard so you can know more to lead better. Learn more and get started at churchlytics.com. That's churchlytics.com. My guest today on Uncommentary is Heather Thompson Day. She's the author of It's Not Your Turn, What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Breakthrough. Heather's the Associate Professor of Communication at Colorado Christian University and is a contributor for Religion News Service, Newsweek, The Barner Group, probably some other stuff. She runs an online community called I'm That Wife. She's author of six books, as you'll find out in a moment. I did not know that <laughs> when we started talking. Heather has a great online presence, and she's very loving. She's very caring. Uh, the first time I found out about her was a Twitter thread that she wrote about a student of hers who made the best grades in her life when she had a bed for the first time. It was very moving, got shared a bunch of times, and that's how I saw it. Um, Heather is a great lady, and I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation. Well, my guest today is like a Twitter superstar. She is all over the place, and you would think that this is what she does for a living, but I don't think it is. You have a regular job, right? I have a real job. People pay me to show up every day and do stuff, so that's not that's, just tweet. That's really encouraging, but you almost do get paid to tweet because it does bring you some, it probably brings your institution some credibility at this point. I keep shouting into the void for someone to hire. I keep posting my resume saying, somebody give me a job to do this. And nobody has called. Nobody. <laughs> oh, my. Well, Heather Thompson Day, welcome to Uncommentary. I'm happy to be here. So where are you in like in Oklahoma or Utah or Idaho or somewhere? Did you just pull those out? Where did we even come up with Oklahoma. I don't know. Everybody doesn't doesn't like half the people in America live in Oklahoma. I am in Denver. That's I mean, that's not far. I, it seems totally like opposite. I don't know, but I'm in Denver, but I am moving. So I just accepted a job at Andrews University. Is that in Oklahoma? So I'm actually lit. No, it's in Michigan. <laughs> oh, man. I did get called to speak in Oklahoma. So maybe this is a weird premonition that you're having. I don't know. Maybe so. No, <laughs> Reading seriously. my emails, I think. <laughs> I know I have friends in Oklahoma. It's just It just popped out. I really didn't know. <laughs> I'm in Denver right now. And then you're going to Michigan. And then I'm going to Michigan. Yes. Okay. Is your whole family going or are you going to be like exiled? I'm going with my family That's to good. be with my parents, with my oh, extended family. Excellent. Very cool. Yeah. So um, you are, what, what do you do like in real life? <laughs> so I'm a professor. I'm okay. a professor of communication right now. I'm at Colorado Christian University and okay. I teach social media courses. So I guess I do yeah. kind of get paid to do Twitter, right? Yes. I do teach social media and then I teach persuasion and interpersonal courses. Well, persuasion goes in with one of your other hobbies. Uh, you're a prof- you're a semi-professional matchmaker. 
I mean, self-proclaimed. So <laughs> I think by this time, other people are proclaiming that for you. It's kind of like one of those things where you just put it in your bio and then people <laughs> believe it, right? So now it's stuck and I enjoy it. Yeah, but it's more than that because now people like, they will tweet at you, hey, I need a boyfriend. Right. right. Or even more, I need a husband. I, you know, right. hook me up. And I have started, I've stopped doing it with people I don't know personally mm. because things just got too big for me. And so now I'm, if I don't know you personally, I won't match make you, unfortunately. But I will every now and then just retweet somebody who sends me their profile so that it's exposed to more people. And then if somebody DMs them, that's on them. Well, I know what it is, is you had to cut back because you were getting all these invitations. You had to buy presents for all these people. Yeah, it was too, well, I had to go to all these weddings. <laughs> You know, and I can only fly so many places. I can only be so many places at once. Yeah. Oklahoma City is not that big an airport. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And amongst other things, you are an author. Is this your first book? It's not your turn. This is my seventh book. What? Wow. It's funny, right? It's my seventh book and everyone thinks it's, it's my first one, which actually is the point of the title. So six other times, it was not my turn. And on the seventh one, God said it is finished. Okay. So let me rephrase that. You live in, wait a minute, author of six books, including Confessions of a Christian. You can see I did all my homework before this episode started. (laughs) You are so ready for this conversation. This is so terrible. Uh, How to Feed the Media War. Oh, because that's a communications type volume. Yes. But this, what to do while waiting through your for your breakthrough. I feel like that you should like send a case of these to Rod Parsley because he's always preaching about your breakthrough. Your breakthrough is right around the corner, and I you see. should like make him hold these up while he's preaching and say it's not really your turn. But I think here's the thing. I think my definition of breakthrough and his might be different. Okay, lay it on. So as you go through the book, what you discover is essentially what we're looking for is an internal breakthrough. Okay. Right. It's a piece that surpasses understanding and a decision to show up to your life, regardless of what the circumstances are, even when it's not your turn. Okay. So you're not talking about like getting the job of your dreams or something like that necessarily. I'm talking about whatever it is that has become this thing between you and God. Okay. Where every time you pray, it's just the thing that you keep circling and it feels like God is not answering me because God's not answering this one piece. And then it prevents us from showing up to everything that he's actually given us. I'm speaking from personal experience here. Okay, good. I like that. Keep going. I'm glad. Yeah. So essentially the whole premise of the book is who we are when it's not our turn is actually more important than who we will be when it is. That's what I've come to for myself. Okay. So this is, um, this is a book about patience and faith and endurance and character and integrity. That's I, my mantra is integrity over everything. And I think we have this idea that life starts he, like at the mountaintop, right? Right. Life starts when I get to where I think I'm supposed to be. And that's mm-hmm. when I'm all of a sudden going to do all these amazing things. But I think life starts right here. And in fact, I think God is extremely pleased when we show up to our lives when nobody cares. So this is kind of like David before the anointing. Yes, but he was still anointed. Right. That's the point, right? It's like we think life starts in the palace, but Joseph is anointed in the pit. It hasn't mm-hmm. changed. And so our circumstances are never the signifier of God's presence. 
And I think that has been the most liberating thing for me to understand. And now as I go through situations where I feel like where I just went through one recently where I was praying over something for a long time, I didn't know where God was. And I'm just learning to say it, Lord, what, what can I learn right here? Mm-hmm. What is there for me in my, this space? And how do I show up even when everything inside me feels broken, right? And hurt, yeah. how do I show up anyway? Well, there's that really um, powerful uh, verse in Job that uh, often gets overlooked because it isn't involving Leviathan. And it's in uh, Job 23, I think, um, where he says, uh, I look forward and you're not there. And I look behind me and you're not there. And I look to the left and to the right and you're not there. But you know the way that I take. Um, and that's where oh, I think a lot of people find themselves there. Yeah, I think a lot of us, I mean, the disciples who literally walk with Jesus say, don't you care if we drown? Right. <laughs> and so I think in, in a lot of ways, we have this idea that if God is with us, you're always going to feel it. Yeah. And that's not true. Right. And for me, it's been very liberating to say, I, Heather, I don't care if you feel it. Here's what I need you to know is God is here regardless of whether or not you feel it. And this is the message I really, as a professor, I work with young people. I want them to understand this because I wish I had gotten that when I was 18 years old. It would have changed the way I showed up to my life. Yeah. The question you just said that the, the disciples asked Jesus is so funny to think about. Do you not even care that we're going to drown? <laughs> <laughs> right. But have but do we not cry this out to God all exactly, the time? Exactly. Are you not paying attention? Do you not this see is, my circumstances? Why are you asleep on me? Yeah. I love scripture for this very reason yeah. is it makes me realize, oh, like it's okay that I'm a human being. I don't have to be perfect and I don't have to figure it all out. I just have to stay next to Jesus. And that's what we see over and over again in scripture. Yeah. And to me, that's freedom. There's freedom in Christ to fix everything. You know what I mean? As long as I just yeah. stay next to him, I'm going to make it battered, bruised, maybe, right? but I'll make it. Yeah. So sheep do get broken legs and sheep yeah. do get ankle bites. And, and sheep, it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. Sheep do some ankle biting too, from what I understand. <laughs> my, so my husband's a pastor and that's a thing, right? They don't talk about the sheep bite. Yeah. People yeah. don't tell you that. Well, the pastors do. That's that's <laughs> one of the long running jokes of uh, of between pastors is, man, sheep bite. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So while you're waiting through your breakthrough, so I want to read down through a couple of these chapters right here okay. so people get an idea what the book is about. Uh, it's not your turn. It's your turn to wait. Uh, it's your turn to say it out loud. Is that like reminding ourselves of what, uh, what God is going to do or what God might do or that God hasn't forgotten us, uh, but we vocalize it so we actually hear that it's a truth? Yeah. So I do a lot of – this book is filled with – research articles I mm-hmm. and I teach communication. So here's what I can tell you just in a little short snippet, but if you read the chapter, it'll be so much better. Oh, your brain. Okay, thanks. thanks yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> your brain can't distinguish the difference between fact and fantasy. Okay. So once you say it, it's as real for the, your brain as the ground you're standing on. And so I want people to think about the things that they say out loud. Mm-hmm. Cause oftentimes we will sit and, and once we say something negative, your brain automatically provides you. It's like really, it just magically appears. It gives you this other negative thought to keep spiraling down. And then suddenly you're so far gone. But what if we learn to interrupt those negative thoughts so that our brain can have something solid to stand on? And then what I talk about, I end the chapter by saying, 
the beauty of scripture is there's over 3,500 promises available to us mm-hmm. in scripture, but our brains can't respond to the attacks of the devil with promises we've never read. Yeah. Only 15% of Christians read their Bible daily. To me, this is a big miss, mm. right? Because right here, like I said, it's like, it's people who have gone through various experiences, not directly related to mine, but in the same feeling of where are you mm-hmm. Lord? And I get to see where God was yeah. in somebody else's life. So I'm going to ask you a related question okay. that may not be covered in your book, but before we go into the break, I want to give you a chance to address this. Cause I think there is a relationship here. Do you see that there is some of this involved with so many young people struggling? And I'm going to use the word deconstruction, not like in the actual technical sense, but in the sense of young people that are really struggling with, is what I was taught is the faith. Is it actually the faith? Is there some of this that's related where there there's an expectation with some young folks that this is what I thought like Christianity was going to be, or this is what I was told that it was going to be. And now that I'm waiting and looking around, it doesn't seem to be actual. Is there a relationship there? Or do you think that this, this is to like two different things? So what I talk about in the book is I think a lot of people, and I guess, who am I? I'm just going to tell you what I've learned. We know statistically 72% of Christians, Christians Mm -hmm. see God as angry and judgmental and wrathful and somebody who, if I mess up, is just waiting to get me. 72% of us. That is amazing. Worship an angry God. And here's why this is so, so, so important. Neuroscience shows that the God you believe in is the God you become. Wow. So when I believe that God is judgmental and critical and distant and angry, I then become judgmental and critical and distant and angry. And it's really cool. It's almost like believing God is love matters. Mm -hmm. And it changes the way I relate to my neighbor. What the, the very character of God I think is actually the problem. People have an incorrect understanding of who God is. Mm. And then we walk around and because what we worship, we become. Mm. Right? So if we could correct this misrepresentation, I think for a lot of young people, it would change things. But I know from experience, because I have students that will sit in my office all the time and say, for for whatever reason, whatever person told them, he, he can't want me or he's done with me or, or the shame just blocks them from even wanting to attempt a relationship with him. Man, we have so much work to do as a church in sharing the actual love of Christ within ourselves, yeah. for not even just the outside world, right. to each other. Yeah. I'm talking to uh, Heather Thompson Day about her book, um, It's Not Your Turn, and some other things, apparently. Uh, we're, going, <laughs> we're going far afield now. So uh, we'll be right back after this. If you've been listening to Uncommentary for any length of time, you've heard me talk about Hearts and Minds books. They're my favorite independent bookstore located in Pennsylvania, owned by Byron Borger. I hope you'll give them a try, heartsandmindsbooks.com. Every book I've ever ordered from Hearts and Minds has come carefully wrapped in uh, brown wrapping paper, like packaging paper. Every single book. Nothing's just thrown in a box with with a thing of bubble wrap and shipped to you in the hopes that it gets there in some kind of condition that it's still worth reading. You never have to worry about that with Byron. So I encourage you to try out Hearts and Minds Books. Go to heartsandmindsbooks.com and let them know what you need. Mention Uncommentary, and if you can, he'll give you a discount on the book that you order. Thanks a lot for listening and support Hearts and Minds Books. So Heather was just telling me how much she enjoys audiobooks, and I'm going to push back on that. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he waited till the mic's on all of a sudden, it's, right? It's not that I don't enjoy them. It's that I can't listen to nonfiction on audiobook mm. because I can't remember anything. Um, so if I'm, if I'm listening to something, I prefer to listen to music because I don't have to pay attention to it. I can either sing or I could just let my mind go somewhere else. And it's just a, a soundtrack for thought. Not um, an auditory learner. I take it. I'm uh, definitely not an auditory learner. <laughs> if I don't take notes in church, I, you know, it's like, why did I even go? <laughs> <laughs> I hope they got coffee. Cause I'm not going to remember anything else. Um, no, it really is a challenge. So I, I'll listen to maybe two audio books a year. And oh every goodness. single every single time as I'm going nonfiction and every single time I'm going through them, I'm like, how am I going to reference this? How am I going to go back and get this for a sermon? How am I going to say it? You know, to, Okay, so- that part I agree. So I just make a note. I pause it and I write down the minute and then I make a note in my phone and I go back. While you're driving? Well, when I stop, I pause it. <laughs> I look at the time. That is some great research right there. <laughs> That's a great research tip. So if you're a listener and you've been like trying to drive and write stuff down at the same time, going 80 on the interstate, yeah, you now have some uh, safety tips from Heather Day. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay. So it's your turn to set the goal. Talk about that a little bit, because uh, I think in a sense, when people see your book, they're going to be thinking like in that vein. So when is it going to be my turn to do the thing? When's it going to be my turn to reach the goal, you know, get the TV show, publish the book, blah, blah, blah. So you're, you're say it's your turn to set the goal, which is before actually all that other stuff. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I think it's always your turn to set the goal just by setting a goal. And I'm filled with useless information. So just by setting a goal, you are 33%. Right. And I, I was with Ed Stetzer and I said this, this particular stat and he was like, she's lying. That's not even right. You're just saying a number. And then he looked it up and I was right. I, I remember wish, things. I wish you, I wish I had known you were going to be talking to him because I would have like given you a weird quote. And then when he said, where did you get that? Slip you could have said in. Marty Duran. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's the stat that Ed okay. didn't believe me, but I was right when he verified it. You are 33% more likely to reach the goal just by writing it down. So we wow. should always be, that's the first step okay, is to so just now write I, it I down. Have, I do have an actually related question to this. Okay. Do you have to keep the piece of paper? No, because the point wow. is just, this is what I'm saying about you guys. The brain is so fantastic. I love neuroscience. Once you write it down, your brain automatically, even when you've forgotten, starts sweeping for information to help you reach that goal. And every we kind of know this, right? Like you decide you want to get a certain type of car. And now every time that car passes- yeah. You yeah. recognize it and you see it. And when a commercial goes by, you're like, oh, now I know this. Your brain keeps sweeping to help you reach goals. That's so amazing. writing it down is the first step. Your brain is fantastic. It's the best piece of science. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. What about everybody <laughs> else's brain? <laughs> Not theirs, just yours. Uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now we got that clear. Go ahead. No, that's it. Write it down. And that is, that's, I want to stop and write a few things down. You should do that. Um, it's your turn to re-envision God. And we've already touched on this a little yes. bit. So and that's, yeah, that's exactly what that chapter is about. What we talked about 72% okay. of Christians see God as angry. Okay. And what does it mean for God to be love? And this, the fruits of the spirit aren't like this metaphorical thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we yeah. can actually have those just by changing our view of who God is. This is good stuff. 
Heather. I'm going. You're going to make me read the whole entire book. I really hope you do. I, this is really. I, cool. I think it's a great book. You know, there's. I think you should think your books are great. <laughs> I mean, but, honestly, if you're but the author, do you not know? Let's be honest. Does everybody always think that? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, right? I'm, like, I think sometimes you're just trying to write a deadline. I will say this: I've written two books, and looking back, one of them I think was probably not awesome. <laughs> Marty, I have books that I hope nobody ever reads. And that's the honest to God truth. But if they buy them, you'll take the royalties. I'll take it. But I I hope nobody ever reads them. But this book, I hope everybody reads. It is literally the best work I've ever done. So as the marketing manager for For those other books, I'm going to say buy all seven of her books, throw (laughs) six of them in the trash and read this one because that's how she pitched them to you. We finally got it together on this one. Um, It's your turn to find community. What's that about? Oh, so let's just look at the example of like a job. Okay. Um, Research shows that whether or not you enjoy your job is not what you're doing. It's who you're with. Okay. So the most important thing is always community. And so there's this Harvard study in there, a 20 year long Harvard study that talks about how the greatest contributor to your actual physical health is your relationships more than the food you eat, the exercise program you're on, or the genes you've inherited. The most important predictor of your physical health is your relationships. And so we'll spend all this time on diet culture or making sure we go to the gym. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things, but then we'll live in toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, that's fine. It's not fine. (laughs) <laughs> that's fine because right? I lost five pounds. <laughs> right. Like we have to really, and, he, and here's my other issue. And especially with this, with generation Z that I work with, this is the first generation where when you ask them, what's the dream? The answer is always like a job or some type of financial state. And it has nothing to do with other people. Mm. Whereas every other generation, even millennials, my generation said, oh, I want to be married and I want to have a family. That was one of their top five goals. And this generation Z, it's, it doesn't even make the top five. Right. And so when you get to where you're going, you're going to want somebody there with you. Yeah. So wait a minute. I, I want to make sure that I heard that because since this is audio, my brain kind of slipped out for a moment to be on its own. <laughs> um, you said that for Gen Z, it's a job. Yeah. The, when you ask them, what's your goal? For the next 10 years, they th- say things like job, paying back student loans, finishing education. I want to have a house. That's, that's what they think of. So and those me, things aren't bad. Yeah. But. but let me ask you this question. And I, you may cover this in the book or you may not. And it doesn't matter. But you work with them. So I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think that that's in any way related to the fact that Gen Z is like coming of age between the financial crash of 2008, 9, and 10, not quite rebuilding, and then the pandemic comes, then the student loan crisis where it's the increase in cost of education is creating an eight ball effect where they graduate with just decades of payments ahead of them. And so that's the number one thing because it is the number one thing. It's not like a priority thing, not like they're just waking up saying, oh, my priority in life is to find a great job. It's almost like everything around them has screamed at them for a decade, you're going to have to get a job. You're not going to be able to just show up. You've got to get a job because everything is against you and you're going to be lucky to make more than minimum wage. Is there I, a- I, I don't think it's just that. Okay. I think that this generation has grown up 
with the level of social comparison that I couldn't even fathom mm. being a millennial. When mm-hmm. I was a kid, I had a diary and it had a lock and it had a key and I hid it underneath my bed. And this generation grows up with a diary that you post online and the more hits, the better. Yeah. Right. So how does that affect us psychologically when you're constantly in social compare and social comparison is how we literally define our, who we are. Mm-hmm. And so it's never enough. You're talking about a generation that has grown up that because Kylie Jenner, who has nothing to do with them, right. but because she's on my feed every day, my brain is looping her into the social comparison. And now my life doesn't matter because I'm wow. not Kylie Jenner. Right. So it's just, I think that they've had a ton, the social media impact on them, I think has been crucial in how they view themselves and this deep need that now everybody has to be uber successful. Hmm. That's both interesting and really sad. I think it's really sad. And you're, they have the highest depression rates. I mean, this, that's why I'm super passionate about this generation mm-hmm. because this is a whole other conversation, but none of, like their suicide rates are super high. The depression rates are super high. Their de- anxiety rates are super high. They didn't build any of this. Mm-hmm. And so then we'll talk about them like, oh, well, Generation Z, they're lazy. Or no 16 or 17-year-old kid wants to be suicidal. Right. Right. Like this is the world we've created. Yeah. And then I really, here's my call on adults. We have not effectively mentored them through because we're so stuck on what we're building. Very few of us take the time to stop and go back and make sure that we've taught everything that we've learned to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's a crucial part of this journey is for them to have people who say, I know what you're going through. And I've been there here. You want to know there's this really great study um, that talks about how if an adult works with a child who's struggling with math and reading, those that child's math and reading scores go up, even if the adult knows nothing about math or reading. Mm. It is simply the time of somebody mm-hmm. sitting down next to you and working out a problem. I mean, this is incredible to mentorship and relate. And this goes back to community, like we mm-hmm. talked about in the book. We need each other. Yeah. We're social creatures. And I think a lot of this generation is really lacking adult mentorship. What's the Gen Z age range? They are 18 to like, or no, it's high school students. So high school students to about 22, 23. Okay. Our, um, our family group at church, we're at a church plant and um, we're not. Um, so it, it's all younger people. Let me just say it that way. Other than a very few senior adults who were a part of like an existing congregation, we're my wife and I are like the only median adults in the whole church. And so when we got in a family group, we're in there with either very low end um, millennial, like 25, 26 or high end, I guess, Gen Z, maybe 23, 24, something like that. And this is the youngest group we've ever been involved with is we've always kind of been the oldest ones in our, in our groups, but this is like by far the youngest. And, um, so we've noticed kind of that dynamic where there's just a desire mm-hmm. for input from older people. And, uh, and we, you know, it is weird for us sometimes because we feel like that we're like the oldest ones and, we're, you know, we're just so out of touch with everything, but they go out of their way to make sure that we know that they want us to be around. Yep. And it's, it's way beyond just showing up for the group because it's always talking, always communicating with us. 
So I can see that a little bit, even though as the person who's on the mentoring end, it feels a little weird when it's not like intentional. So it's one thing to sign up to be a mentor and you're assigned a kid and you're doing the mentoring, but when it's like unofficial and it's just part of an, of a relational cycle, it can feel a little bit odd when you're the older person wondering, I wonder if they're just putting up with me to be nice, Uh you know? uh So I can see how the, how that there's a detachment where it doesn't happen because the older person might feel like I'm just intruding or they don't, they're just being nice, not to hurt my feelings. They don't really want me around when in fact they do. They deeply do. And I've never, I, I will say in the last two years, I've had more students ask me to go to lunch or coffee than I have in my entire career. Wow. It's just getting more, they're more and more intentional mm-hmm. about seeking, would you, I can't think if I ever did that when I was in college, went up to a professor and said, can I have coffee or lunch with you? I don't know if I did. So they're, they're very intentional about seeking mm-hmm. that type of, they, they just want help and guidance and they're looking for adults to pour into them. That is amazing. Well, Heather Thompson day, her book is your best life now. Oh, sorry. That's not it. It's um, <laughs> that <book>. too. <laughs> You'll take the royalties. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, her book is It's Not Your Turn, What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Breakthrough. And uh, based on this conversation, uh, I am going to have to read it because it sounds really, really good. <laughs> so thanks for the pressure. Thanks for the social pressure to read your book, Heather. I'm really grateful. I hope everyone does. <laughs> That's awesome. So you are on Twitter and you're at what? Heather T is in Thompson Day. That's D-A-Y. what I thought. Very good. And she's definitely, if you're on Twitter and you're not already following her, and I'm sure most of you are. Uh, she's definitely worth the follow. Great, great uh, content there. And um, so thanks. This has been awesome. Thank you. What an honor. Yeah. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Uncommentary Pod. Please rate and review. And whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean, Uh, or Overcast, or CastBox, whichever one you use. Uh, If you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, And as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com on your Facebook page, or if you tweet the link or retweet the the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always... Uh, Solidale Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast.